Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So here we go. Stand if you're able and willing. Let's dig into, you know, all my life I've thought, wouldn't it be awesome to walk the Appalachian Trail? I mean, to start all the way up in New England, make their way all the way down to Springer Mountain in Georgia. Uh, It takes six, eight months, maybe 10 months. Um, It's an arduous, wouldn't it be just so the ability, the, 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 the strength and the determination, the planning and all the solitude. And, and, and of course, all this dreaming is from a guy who's you know, camped out maybe three days in my whole life. Um, but let's just say that uh, it was attempted. The question is, would you just say the best way to tackle a trek like that is just dive in and figure it out as you go? Or would you say maybe it would be good to read people who have made this walk uh, and get their blogs and their books and, uh, and all the wisdom that they gained in this attempt? And we know that the choice would be the latter. We'd call, you're crazy to make a journey without wisdom, without preparation. Well, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. It comes from a part of the Bible we call the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Wisdom means you don't have to figure it out all on your own. Other people have gone ahead of you. We have their experience, their failings, what they learned, and they tell us um, that. Sometimes you have teenagers, and those teenagers will say, I know, I know, Mom, you say don't go to this party, don't uh, get drunk, don't uh, fool around with this that boy, whatever, I know, but I've got to learn those things what? I've got to learn for myself. Well, I remember a professor told me, you don't have to stick your head in a garbage can to know it stinks in there, right? Um, you don't, uh, a fool has to learn things themselves. The, 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 the wise person listens to those who have gone before. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is here for. We have a father who gives us his wisdom. So here we come to chapter two. And vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And uh, two things are pointed out as vanity. And the first, I want you just to hear it, is self-indulgence. These, this is probably um, Solomon's words, King Solomon. You'll see why one would think so as we read. So starting at verse one, I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools with which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure. I got singers, men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure 
For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and concluded all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And then starting at verse 18, not just self-indulgence, but, but, but achievement and, and hard work. What does Solomon say? I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up over to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. That's not only vanity, that's evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils under the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also vanity. Now Martin Luther says right here comes a turning point in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. So listen, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. May God bless this reading of his holy, infallible, and inspired word. What a treasure it is to have wisdom from God. You may be seated. So the question um, this morning, June 13th, 2021, is are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? I think sometimes when a sermon starts, people just kind of fall into survival mode, you know, just kind of stop listening, maybe tune in every few minutes. You know, I I really wish that somehow you'd almost stop and just say, I want you to take 10 minutes right now in total silence. And I want everybody in this room to think about that question. Are you full? Are you satisfied with your life? Some of you have lived two thirds, three quarters, four fifths of your life. Some of you are halfway, some are just getting started. Are you finding life satisfying? Is it what you hoped it would be? Do you look back and and think, I don't know, I don't think I found it yet. Are you satisfied? Are you full? Is your soul at rest? I mean, this is the quest of life. The Rolling Stones wrote the anthem for a whole generation, right? I can't get no satisfaction and I, I try and I try and I try. No matter how hard we work, no matter what we achieve, what we possess, how many friends we accumulate, satisfaction is elusive. Solomon says it's like trying to grab onto wind, right? You just can't quite get it. Marcus Person uh, created a, um, um, a, a video game uh, that became wildly successful is called Minecraft. And then he sold it for two and a half billion dollars. So when your kid's on the couch all afternoon doing that video game, let them. Um, 
following the sale, person purchased a mansion for 70 million, spent his days living the dream, lavish parties, high-end vacations, world travel, hobnobbing with celebrities. And at the peak of his successes, this is what he said on his Twitter page. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. Hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I have never felt more isolated. No matter how hard we work or what we achieve, satisfaction is elusive. Suppose we were to choose someone, however, for the ultimate quest. Go out and find the life that satisfies. And we will give you every resource you need to do that so that you can study under the greatest minds on the planet, right? And, uh, and you can go to the most beautiful exotic locales. I mean, you can travel, no place will be out of bounds for you. And, uh, and you can take, uh, taste the most exquisite food uh, prepared by the James Beard warning um, chefs, you know, all over the world. You can, you can hear the music, the most glorious music ever um, written in the famous concert halls uh, of the world. Um, you can pursue any physical pleasure. You can have the companionship of the most fascinating um, people. And after you sample it all, we want you to come back and tell us, how do you get satisfaction? What is the satisfying life? What is it? You've had it all. Come back and tell us, what's the key? Well, we don't have to send the person on that quest because we have their words right here. That person was Solomon. He went there. He did it. He tells us about it. We've got it right here. You ready? You know what the Bible says our problem is? Is we're constantly thirsty and we're, we're drilling wells. We're digging wells, but those wells are dry. We're trying to get water out of things that will never satisfy our thirst. But we dig and we dig and we dig, right? And we try and we try and we try. But there is one who came and said, I have water for you. And if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Solomon tasted it all, and he found himself at that very well. How about you? Let's go there together. Ready? All right, two points um, to this sermon. The first is this, satisfaction is pursued. Everybody's pursuing it, everybody's thirsty. And Solomon tells us the folly of pursuing satisfaction through self-indulgence, right? Solomon decides pleasure is it. Self-indulgence is it. He goes all in, right, on hedonism. Um, what does it say in uh, chapter two, uh, right when we started? Come now, I will test you with pleasure. I'm gonna test drive pleasure. Enjoy yourself. What if you could have every pleasure the world had to offer? Solomon says, I'm going for it, all the way, all in, right? It says that whatever, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. So here it is, the person who has it all. He made indulgence of himself the chief end of his life. Look at what it says in the passage we just read. I built houses and planted vineyards for who? For myself. I made myself gardens uh, and parks. These weren't public parks he built, those were private parks. I made them for myself. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of trees. I also gathered for myself silver and gold. Self, 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 all in. He pursued laughter, entertainment. He drank wine. 
He feasted bountifully. He plied himself with the finest things of life. Houses, vineyards, gardens, flowers, fruit trees, pools, slaves, herds, flocks, silver and gold, and perhaps most noteworthy, women. 700 wives he had. Some of you would call that hell. Um, (laughs) 700 wives, 300 concubines. The exotic luxury of this vast harem was the royal icing on his cake of pleasure. He denied himself nothing. Now do not think that it's very easy to say, well, that was Solomon and that's a level of, you know, I don't live there. I don't know anything like that. Um, Don't be so blind. You live in the United States of America. You live in the most prosperous people on the earth. Not only the most prosperous people on the earth, you are the most prosperous people that have ever lived on the earth. Ever. In all of human history. Nobody has the kind of comfort and pleasures that we have. Do not think that we are immune to, uh, to saying, if I could only have a little more, then, I, then, then life would be made for me. Listen, you learn it from as a young child. We, I grew up decidedly middle class, in, um, middle class in Miami. There were six kids in my family. We had the station wagon, you know, with those fake wood panels. Um, I was the fifth kid. That meant I had to sit all the way in the back and the, and the row in the back of that station wagon faced backward. Um, middle class. But one day a year, we weren't middle class. One day a year. My father got tickets from his company to the polo matches in Boca Raton. And uh, we cavorted with the high rollers. And I remember they'd go down the aisle and they weren't selling Coca-Cola or, or, uh, or a Budweiser. It was uh, a little toddy for the body, they would cry out to uh, the vendors there as they uh, applied their champagne through the crowd. The polo matches. And even before we went to the polo matches, we went to Sunday brunch at the Boca Raton Hotel and Club, a millionaire's um, a playground. And it was all you could eat uh, at the Cabana Club Sunday um, brunch. I still remember as a kid, I had 19 pieces of bacon and six eclairs. Um, and in my little heart, it was like, I have discovered it. This is it. This is the purpose of life. This is where satisfaction is found. Um, you know, the thing is, we don't understand that self-indulgence is the wrong path. We think it's the right path. We just don't think we've gotten far enough down the path. Other people are way down the path. We're not. Um, We haven't gotten the breaks that other people have gotten. If we just had um, more, right? A better kitchen, a nicer house, a boat, right? Uh, a, A better look, a new spouse. Satisfaction is out there. We just, we've just got to get more. In a society with no God and therefore no transcendent purpose, there is a frenetic, a freneticness to our pursuit of self-indulgence. We're, we're desperate. So what's the problem with the self-indulgence strategy? What's the problem with it? It doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy our thirst. And it doesn't matter how much you have, does it? In fact, the great advantage is to the people like uh, the quote we read, right? That have millions and maybe even billions. They're the ones that get the insight to know that if you find the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you wake up the next morning, guess what? It's still you. It's still broken you. It's still empty you. Maybe, in fact, all that stuff just cascades in and creates more emptiness indeed. Indeed. 
right? It doesn't satisfy. There's even an internal witness to that. Look at this passage where he says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, but my heart was still guiding me with wisdom. See how that's kind of just stuck in there? And, and then go to uh, verse nine, same thing. So I became great, I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, but my wisdom remained inside of me. You know what it's saying? There's like an inner voice inside of you uh, that's saying, this isn't gonna work. This isn't gonna do it, right? Don't shut, don't, don't, don't close your ears to what I'm telling you. Wisdom is trying to speak even in, the, in that moment. And it's telling you um, in this internal witness. I mean, truth keeps butting in to ruin the party, right? Self-indulgence fails to deliver. We have a thirst that simply does not um, quench. This uh, Austrian gentleman made millions and, uh, and he says the same thing. For a long time, I believed that the more wealth and luxury automatically meant more happiness. But over time, a conflicting feeling developed. The more and more I heard the word, stop, stop what you're doing now. All the luxury and consumerism. You hear that inner voice telling him, you're on the wrong road. I had the feeling I was working as a slave for things that I did not wish or need. It was the biggest shock in my life when I realized how horrible, soulless, and without feeling the five-star lifestyle is. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that you can have a whole generation, a whole country uh, um, longing for something and yet there's constant witnesses from people who have been there telling you what? Don't go there. Don't go there. And, and almost, listen, how's Jeff Bezos' life working? How's Bill Gates' life working? How's their marriage? How's their home life uh, working out? these days. And, and, and you know, every month gives us new evidence, right? New names, new people who have had it all. And their lives, their homes, their hearts are just a wreck. Um, I mean, listen, it's inside of us. Doesn't matter how much money you have. It's inside of us to think, that's it. That's it. If I could have more. Just go to Publix and watch people line up at the lottery machine. I could have more. So I, I remember as a little kid, um, you know, Miriam Hart's birthday is today. She was smart enough to have a birthday in June, right? My birthday is the same week as Christmas. You know what that means? Um, that means when my birthday, see, when you're a little kid, your birthday is it. Because that's the day the whole world stops and says, you're, it's you, it's about you. And they give gifts to you and they sing to you. And, and when you're a little kid, that's like the greatest thing. I'm gonna get the stuff. I get to ask for what I want. I'm gonna get stuff. And, and, and I get to have a cake that I want and I get to have dinner that I want and everybody's gonna pay attention to me. And it, so even my birthday, a couple days from Christmas, Jesus actually horned in on my big day, right? Didn't seem to understand that this was, I have to share my birthday with Jesus, right? Um, and I can remember every Christmas, you know, birthday came right before Christmas, then Christmas. Every Christmas I'd go to bed that night because that was my week, you know. Got both, birthday and Christmas. And I remember every Christmas night, spoiled little kid, I'd go to bed so dissatisfied because my hopes for what it would do internally to me could never be satisfied, right? Um, you with me? No indulgence uh, can satisfy our thirst. That's what C.S. Lewis said. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they do want and want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. 
Jesus encountered a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, and they, she's there to get water, obviously. But Jesus tells her she's thirsty. He said, "I know you're thirsty, because the man you're with isn't your the man you're with isn't your husband." And she wasn't with any man. He means the man you're with. He's not your husband. And you've had five husbands already. It means you're, you're seeking, you're seeking, you're seeking, you're desperate, you're looking, but you're not looking in the right place. And every failed relationship just makes you more thirsty. But Jesus said, I've got what? I've got water. I've got the water you're looking for. So second, then, B, not point two, that would be too wonderful for all of you. Um, Second part of point one is that we pursue satisfaction not just through indulgence, but in this passage, Solomon tells us through achievement, through work, right? Um, Solomon Solomon had uniquely had the resources to pursue the life of indulgence. But Solomon also had gifts, he was gifted to be able to skillfully um, uh, produce incredible achievement. So we look to produce satisfaction and recognition and a legacy. We look to work for that. Yet Solomon was bitterly disappointed. Work failed to produce satisfaction. Solomon said, ultimately, I hated it. I hated. Look, Look at what he accomplished in verses four through seven. Great works, built houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, fruit trees, pools. Um, I had slaves, I had um, flocks and herds. Uh, All of this he accomplished. And yet he says ultimately in verse 18, I hated it. I hated the toil. Why, why Why did he hate work? Because one, it's hard, right? Work is hard. Most people who are successful at work in this world work very hard and they work very long hours. And don't be deluded about any such thing. There is no um, easy pathway. Work is hard. That's what it says in the first pages of the Bible, right? First pages of the Bible is that the ground will fight you for its fruit and you will have to work and struggle and strain. It grinds you down. Look at what verse 22 and 20. Um, three say, what is a man from the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. And even in the heart is not, uh, even in the nighttime, you think, okay, my work's over, I can relax now. Are you kidding? Relax, you gotta think about all the problems tomorrow. All the work you didn't get done that day. All that's on your plate for tomorrow. Those difficult conversations you gotta have tomorrow. That test you have to take, that appointment you've gotta make, maybe it's not gonna go well and you don't sleep well at night either. Work is hard. Not only on top of all that, someone else benefits, right? After all your work, you can't take it with you. All your stress to achieve and accumulate, and you're too old to enjoy it, and then you leave it to others who get the benefit. How many parents spend their life building a business and then discover their kids don't want any part of it? You know what happens a lot? is parents spend their whole life filling their house with antiques and heirlooms and and stuff that means the world to them. And then when they're ready to downsize, they discover their kids are gonna bring it all to goodwill. They don't want one bit of it. Work can be really disappointing. But let me just say most of all, work is a slave master. You know why it's a slave master and why we overwork? Because our work is our primary strategy 
to find worth, to find satisfaction, to feel like we're somebody, to feel like we're important, we're valuable, we have meaning, we have worth. And if worth can't provide that, then we just work and work and work and work some more and work feverishly. It's a slave master. Because you know, just like a slave working hard for the master never uh, ceases to be a slave, never gets to share the fruits of the labor, never gets to work as a slave master, work as a cruel master. If our work is about self-validation, if, if our work is to quell that inner critic that's constantly telling us that we're worthless. You know, I've told you my, a little of my story um, my, my grandfather was, um, took over his father's construction business during the depression and it was worthless and he built it into an empire in, um, in New Jersey so that he died, um, 40 years ago. I'm on the board now of a family charity he founded with his money. For 40 years, we've been giving away the money that, um, that he created and we still have millions and millions and millions. One time they decided they were gonna give it all away. They were making 10 and $20 million grants and they failed, they couldn't even empty the coffers. Um, my grandfather um, preached to me, he sent me letters every week uh, from when I was a teenager in college I mean, telling me the virtue of work, work, hard work, discipline. Um, my, um, uh, my father um, was uh, um, college athlete. My father was a semi-pro baseball player. My father was um, in World War II on the island of Saipan. My father was uh, uh, an executive in a very successful company. My father um, was always the school board chairman uh, virtually his entire life. Uh, my father was um, very successful at whatever he did, um, uh, particularly uh, parenting, wonderful. Um, <laughs> Now, my father was, I remember going to a Man of the Year Palm Beach County Award uh, to see my father. So my siblings, the same could be said. In my family, there were um, six kids. Five of them made National Honor Society and academics. Five of the six. They were, they were great athletes. They were um, state champions. My brother was the quarter mile state champion in track. Um, other brothers were MVP of the football team. And, um, and Scrawny Ray grew up with, um, with the idea that I'm gonna be the first failure in this family. The fear that um, I, I would not measure up. Uh, and that fear has been um, driven me my entire um, life. Um, I know this, um, I know that, and it's a sad and sober thing when you realize that um, the church and school that you put your hand to creating had more to do with your striving to cover your own inadequacy than it had anything to do with the glory of God. What drove me was wanting to be somebody, wanting to feel worthwhile, wanting not to feel like a failure. Work as a slave master. Um, so if it's not in, if it's not in um, self-indulgence and it's not in achievement, then where do you find it? Where do you find satisfaction? You ready? Here we go, point two. 
You find it in the goodness of God. Look at verse 24 and 25. This is that turning point Luther talked about in the passage. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, far apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. Um, That means that from the very hand of God, right? Here's the turning point, the principal point. Do you know what isn't vanity? Experiencing the goodness of God as your father and from his very hand of your father comes uh, the love of God and, and his love to provide for his children. This is satisfaction. The apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of having plenty, right? I've learned the secret of having plenty or want. I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Satisfaction is to have what we crave, the love of a father and the love of God. That's what we want. The kindness of God, the goodness of God. Satisfaction comes not from the gift. It comes from the, it comes from the love of the giver. Diane gives me a new golf shirt. Isn't that sweet? I got a wife. She gives me a golf shirt. It could be an awesome golf shirt. You know what? But a golf shirt's not going to satisfy my soul. Where's the satisfaction? It's the giver of the gift, right? It's that my wife gave me that. It's that my wife loves me. It's that my wife does kindness towards me. The satisfaction is in the giver, not the gift. The satisfaction is not in your house. The satisfaction is not in your achievement. It's not in your job. The satisfaction is not in the nice car you drive or the vacation you take or any of those things. It's in the giver of those gifts, right? We try to find satisfaction in the gift and we ignore the giver, but it's the giver. And if you have the giver, even if you don't have the gift, if you have the giver and you feel like you don't have the gift, you still have life, satisfaction. So where does satisfaction come? I mean, it's every day, right? It's the cardinal that lights on the fence post outside your house, right? It's a warm sun on your face. It's a beautiful flower. It's a rain that comes into Florida and sweeps off the coast in, in a flurry, right? It's every gift of every day. It's a warm cup of um, tea, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the postman who struggles down your dirt road to bring you um, your mail, right? Satisfaction comes because these are gifts from God. It's not the gift that satisfies you, it's the God who gives them. When you know that he's the object, uh, he's the giver, he is the source of your pleasure. Satisfaction comes sitting at Waterfront Social Restaurant and enjoying King's Bay, enjoying the sunset, the grouper that you're eating, the beer that you're drinking, the skill of the chef, the attention and personality of the server, because they're all gifts from God, gifts you don't um, deserve, but your father loves to give you. It's a way of life, right? This is my father's world, and he made it all for me. And every pleasure and every good thing he made to give to his children, it's satisfying. That's not vanity, that's life. Resting in the care of your heavenly father, and believing that Jesus is enough. You understand what I'm saying? You could say, Pastor, but I got cancer. I may have three months to live. Pastor, my children hate me. 
you know, pastor, I've never been married. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. I'm telling you, Jesus is enough. Jesus is ultimately what your heart craves. Not the gifts, but the giver. If you have Jesus and you have nothing else, you have satisfaction. What do, what do people from North America who go on mission trips, what do people in our country who go to Haiti and they go to Africa and they go to third world places and they go to Guatemala and, 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 they, and they go worship with the people there? What do they always say when they come back? Those people have nothing, but they're so what? They're so filled with joy. They're so happy because they have Jesus. If you have Jesus and you have nothing else, you have everything. But if you have everything and you have not Jesus, you have nothing. So her name was Mabel. Seminary student got sent to um, visit at the state convalescent home. Nobody wanted that job, but they got to teach seminary students how to be nice, how to love people. So they sent him over there. It was, you know, think nursing home, only 10 times worse. This is a state-run convalescent home for the indigent. The people have nobody. The people are just warehoused, right, till the end comes. And in went this seminary student with a, with a bouquet of carnations to hand because it was Mother's Day weekend, and he found a woman. Her name was Mabel. Mabel was in a wheelchair. Mabel was um, uh, had hearing aids, told you she was almost deaf. Mabel was blind. Mabel had a cancer eating away the side of her face. Mabel had had a stroke of some kind because her head was kind of tilted and her mouth was kind of skewed and, and so she drooled constantly. And he handed her a flower and she took it and then she said through her garbled voice, would you mind wheeling me down the hall? so I could give it to somebody else who could actually see it and enjoy it more than me. Her first thought was what? Somebody else. And so he wheeled her down the hall up to another, next to, to someone else and she handed out the flower and she said, here, I hope you enjoy this. It's a gift from Jesus. He said, I discovered somebody I needed to know. He went back every week while he was a student to visit Mabel. One day when he was working on his exams, you see, Mabel had been there for 25 years. 25 years. Blind, almost deaf, with cancer, alone, with nobody. And so he rushed to the nursing home as he's in the middle of the ardor of his exams. And, and he said, Mabel, I've just got to know, what do you think about all the time sitting in here? with no one, no stimulation in your chair. What do you think about? She said, well, mostly I think about my Jesus. And then Mabel started to sing, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. When I am sad, it's to him I go. He makes me glad. He's my friend. You got it? That's where satisfaction is. One more thing, next verse. Not just in God's goodness, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to those who please God. So which category do you wanna be in? The people who please God or the people who are sinners? Guess what category you're in? 
Guess what category we're all in, naturally, on our own? We're sinners, right? So this is good news, I think. Satisfaction is found in having God's pleasure, his approval, his acceptance, his smile. But how do we get it when we deserve his displeasure? We should be in the sinner category, not the pleasing to God category. How do you get from the sinner category to the pleasing God category, right? So that you experience the pleasure of God. Every religion in the world says you can make that trek from sinner to one in God's favor, but it's up to you. And it'll take your whole life and it'll take a measure of obedience that I can guarantee you, you can't achieve. That's what every world religion says. You gotta do it. And you better work at it every day of your life. And one little turn off the path, you're cooked. Only Christianity says, because we can't do it, somebody else came to do it for us. Um, Jesus came, that's why he came. He didn't come to show us the right way, he came to actually walk the right way for us. Not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, right? Not by our works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. Well, I want you to hear me say this very clearly. Everybody is broken. There are no good people. There are no good people. Everybody is broken. Everybody deserves the displeasure of God. So there are two kinds of people. There are broken people who have run to God for mercy. And there are broken people who have not and will not. Which are you? There are broken people who have run to God and there are broken people who will not. Have you run to him? When Jesus was baptized, the skies were open and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you belong to Jesus, then he is pleased with you. And if God is pleased with you, you have found the satisfying life. Because the one thing you crave in this world is to know that when God looks at you, he looks at you with affection and delight, that you have his face. We just had our nine grandsons at our house for a week. We should get a medal. We should get the Nobel Peace Prize, the Heisman Trophy. We, you know, we should get the Congressional Medal of Honor. We should get them all. But you know, one thing about little kids, when they're over there working on building blocks or Legos or, or magnet tiles or whatever, and they're creating something, they always come and get you and they say, come, come, come what? And they want you to see it and they want to see the look on your face that says, wow, right? Well done. Children got to see their daddy looks at them with delight. If you have Jesus, then you have that. Every day you may forget it. And you may run out and try to possess stuff and go get more shoes because that makes you feel good, right? And you may run around and work life feverishly all the time because you forget. But by God's grace, you're brought back to remember. He loves me. That's the satisfying life. My creator, my father, loves me. So I've been preaching for 38 years. And I told you, I've been afraid for, thir- for, for so long. But you know, in these latter years, there has come relief. Because I, you know, 
You know how, you know how when a little three-year-old, uh, your little three-year-old daughter does ballet, she's terrible. When your little four-year-old plays soccer, they don't even know which goal is theirs. And they might just sit in, and play in the grass. But what, you know what? You go to their games and you watch them when it's all over, you think, they were awesome. I just take such joy in them, not based on their performance. And I realize that when Ray Cortez preaches, God who called me to do this, God who's given me certain gifts to do it, um, looks down at me like he's watching a little three-year-old play soccer and says, ooh. <laughs> he's not that good, you know what? But I like the kid. I like him. He's fond of you, you know. If you have run to Jesus, he's fond of you. He loves watching you do life. That's not vanity. That's satisfaction. Amen. Jesus, we live so thirsty, but you told us there's water to drink. So for those in this room who need to come to the well and get the water, oh, may they come, even today. Oh, you're such a good God. Your goodness, it's so sweet. Your affection, so unbelievable. Uh, your water, it, it's the only thing that fills us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.